You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode at the Life Church campus today uh, with... A guest that I, I scrolled back that back through our emails um, to uh, Rachel, her assistant, and was like, I sent you an email because you were on the first list of people I wanted to have on the podcast. <laughs> and she replied, was like, can you send me a, an example of your podcast? I'm like, hasn't gone out yet. <laughs> so we're two years in and finally I get to sit down with you. A uh, very busy man. Please welcome to the podcast, Mr. Bobby Grunwald. Uh, it's good to be with you, Mike. Sorry, sorry it took two years. To get here. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. It makes me work a lot harder. And, and I was saying, you know, uh, a lot of the podcasts I get, people ask me, how have you sat down with that person? I'm like, well, I just send emails constantly. Um, so sorry, Rachel, <laughs> blowing your email box up every new year. It's like, hi, I'm back. still doing it. 116 episodes in. But um, no, I really appreciate it. Really, really glad to be in this space and you know, to get get you for a little bit of time and share your story. Obviously, we have the connection of going to SNU. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously, we're both not from Oklahoma. You're in, Obviously, you're a U.S born and raised but um tell us a little bit about that tell me a little bit kind of about where you grew up and and then i guess how you ended up going to snu yeah i grew up in um in decatur illinois is where i grew up so central illinois and um i had absolutely no um family no connection whatsoever to oklahoma <laughs> growing up yeah. um I just, you know, just one of those, it's another one of those states, you know, that I just wasn't, my family's all in Illinois at the time. But um, so I grew up, uh, you know, kind of doing some interesting things. Um, I got into being a rapper. So I was a Christian rapper for five years when okay. I was in Illinois. And my wife, her name's Melissa, we actually met in the fourth grade. She's from Illinois as well. And um, we dated off and on in high school. And she was a year ahead of me in school. And um, so when she graduated, we had kind of talked about where we were going to go to college. And we were sort of planning that. And she surprised me by saying that she wanted to go to Oklahoma, come to Oklahoma and go yeah. to school at Southern Nazarene University. And we grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. So there's already a connection, kind of an affinity with the denomination, of course. But, um, but there's another Nazarene school that's really close or much closer to us in Illinois. And, um, so we, the presumption was that was kind of yeah. where we were going. And so at the time, um, I was a bit shocked by it, you know, and, and I still had to finish my senior year of high school. And so then I thought, okay, long distance relationship. And she's like, no, no, actually, I think we need to end this. Um, so she broke up with me <laughs> to go to college cause she just didn't, she said, I just don't want to have a relationship, you know, I'm focused on school and I want to not have to focus on that. And. So that was the excuse, at least. But yeah. I found out that she actually had another guy that had been kind of courting her to come down to Oklahoma to come to school here. And so a couple weeks after she came, they were dating. And uh, so my story is that my wife um, chased after another man to Oklahoma, <laughs> and I chased after her. And that is and how you I won. ended up. Exactly. Now, yeah. That is how I ended up in Oklahoma. That is a true story. That's awesome. It was the only reason at the time, you know, I mean, not that the state's not a great state and the school's not a great school, but 
absent of coming and experiencing it, you know, I had no reference point yeah. other than the fact that I was pursuing my wife. Right. What, uh, when, when was it, what, what time was this? What year was this? So that would have been in the 1994, 95. Okay. So when I actually came to school, I uh, started in January of 1995. Okay. So, the bombing was in 95. Yes, it was right after I got here, just a few months. Yeah. What, what do you remember about that day? Oh, um, I mean, I remember it vividly. Um, yeah. I was um, at SNU, and I was, I remember I was, even the magazine I was reading, I was sitting in like a lounge in the business department reading a magazine um, when all of a sudden kind of heard something happen and we uh I walk out of the lounge and and several students were talking about it and and then by the time I got up to the, where the commons are at SNU they had already had uh they had a TV that kind of played a, a projection TV yeah. in there and they had flipped it over to the news and were starting to even show yeah. some of the early images and so yeah it was just a a horrible um a horrible day uh but you know and then we actually went down to see if we could help and yeah. several students did uh, so we we're there like right in the aftermath and kind of the, the sort of core area yeah. you know, of it before they really started to section it all off. Um, yeah, but you never forget those particular right. moments. And um, and it was one of those times where I mean, I'd only been here a few months, but you could obviously see the community um, really coming together. Uh, I think I'm pretty, my wife and I went to the like, memorial service that Bill Clinton and everyone mm-hmm. went to down at the, I guess, the fairgrounds or wherever it was. Um and so, yeah, I remember a lot of about that experience, but it happened just, like I said, just three months or four months after I, yeah. I came to Oklahoma. Yeah, because you kind of like, from that experience, you get to really see how how the people are, how they react, who they really are, especially coming from up north, right? Totally different culture. Sure. Um, and then you come to Oklahoma, it's kind of the same thing. Nothing's happened, thankfully, since I've been here, but, you know, everyone's just so great. Everyone will drop anything to do anything for you. Um, do you go home that summer? Um, yeah, I was home that summer, and um, and so that was kind of the rhythm, you know, for college yeah. was we'd be back home during the summer and then, you know, back here for school. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things you mentioned, the people in Oklahoma. It's something you definitely notice when you come from up north. Um, I grew up in, you know, what's not Chicago area. Chicago's a little bit more uh, rough and tough. You know, uh-huh. I have a lot of have family that live up there. Uh, and I've certainly been there many, many, many times. But where I was at, it was farm community or small, smaller town in the central Illinois where, where agriculture and um, grain processing, and it's called the soybean capital of the world where okay. all that's going on. Um, so it's a little different, but I had kind of, I'd say, Midwestern values growing up, families, very, very family-oriented culture. Mm-hmm. But here it's got kind of this blend of – Midwestern values where family is still, you know, real, real central uh, to everything. But then just the overall demeanor, the way people were so polite, um, people very friendly, kind of out of their way yeah. to be friendly. That's the thing you notice when you first come, you know, from yeah. somewhere else. You it know, comes too. across really strong, doesn't it? And right. It's kind of like, why are you being so nice to me? I had kind of the similar <laughs> experience Some uh, for me. I was uh, my second day here, me and my dad went you know, on 39th went to like Anne's chicken fried breakfast right. for dinner. And me and my dad sat there, quite strong accents at the time. And this lady just leans across. She's like, where are you from? You know, why are you here? Tell her the story and tell her the dad's leaving in a couple of days. She's like, slides me a number. And she's like, if you need anything, 
ever. Just let me know. I'm like, this kind of, that's really well, strange. Uh, one thing now will, I totally understand yeah, it. Yeah, well, if you're in Oklahoma and have an English accent, though, you're just, yeah. I mean, you're, it's like you can ask for anything. So yeah. you just, it, they're, they're going to go for that for sure. <laughs> so, no, we actually, you know, we, we de- definitely love the people and love the culture, but I didn't come anticipating that I was going to stay, not yeah. because I had a negative perception of Oklahoma. I just had no Same. particular perception and no, like I said, no relationships. My wife is only here for school. Um, apparently that other guy initially, but school. And so I think the, the general presumption was that, well, we'll go to school here and yeah. graduate, and then we'll probably move either back to Illinois, probably to a larger city than what we grew up in, because that mm-hmm. was, I think, part of our aspirations. We'd considered Dallas, um, but for the most part, it was uh, just presumed that when we graduated, that yeah. was what we were going to do. So and you said kind of in high school, you were in a Christian rap group. Was music quite a big influence as well still while you were in college? Um, not as much because I think what happened sort of simultaneously was when I came here, it was after I'd already sort of won my wife back. Mm-hmm. And um, and we had begun, because we, we had dated so long, we already began to talk about plans for marriage while we were in college. Yeah. And the concept of... Uh, her being a lifetime groupie for a Christian rapper um, <laughs> wasn't really something that she felt called to yeah. and wanted to do. So um, so I felt like I needed to probably transition from that. So I've always loved music. And there's, I mean, music is definitely a part yeah. of who I am. But in terms of professionally or from a career perspective, um, that transition really happened when I came to college. I, st- I was a business major. That was sort of a transition point for me yeah. to say, okay, the music thing was great. It's what I was supposed to be doing at the time. Um, I'll always appreciate it. And I'll, I'm sure I'll have musical kind of talent or things that will be woven right. to me. But in terms of like a career path and all of it, that really ended or stopped, you know, when, yeah. um, when I got here. So when did kind of like, I guess, because, you know, you're in college, ni- mid-90s to late-90s, that's where pretty much tech really started to, to kind of mm-hmm. come on the scene, right? Was that just an instant draw to you? You all, you know, just kind of like, I want to be involved in this. Yeah, so technology has always been something since I can remember as a kid that I was interested in. Um, I, I never thought about, like, building a career around it, mm-hmm. uh, but... I always liked to use it, you know, um, I, I was blessed because my parents didn't, we didn't have a lot growing up. We certainly didn't um, act like we had a lot. My dad's very, very frugal. I mean, mm-hmm. he found out later in life, he saved a lot of money, but we, we, I thought we were poor, you know, growing up based on his, uh, the way he would not spend it. Yeah. Um, but one thing, one single thing that he really kind of broke the bank to spend money on was to get our family a computer. And it was like, I remember it was sort of a really high-end, very expensive purchase for my parents, very unusual. But it was important to them that we had this computer so that we could learn from it. So I felt very blessed and privileged that at a very young age, I kind of had access to that when a Mm -hmm. lot of people that were my friends, they had a lot of other things, toys and everything else, but they didn't have a computer. Yeah. And so, so yeah, that probably drew me in, in my interest level more, um, you know, cause I was, as curiosity has always been an attribute of mine. So I was always kind of curious and would explore and try to learn how things worked. Um, when I got to college, uh, like I said, I was a business major, finance major in particular. And, um, and I, I had some roommates and not roommate, but a neighbor of mine in the dorm that was um, really into the internet mm-hmm. kind of back when it was a little more of that underground thing that um, no one really knew much about. Yeah. And so that was kind of what sort of 
connected me a little bit more to it because I would be in his dorm and just kind of see what he was doing and, and begin to have more interest in it at that yeah. time. Did you have any kind of part-time jobs while you were in college? Yeah, I did actually. I, um, I had a job that was part-time at Steve Bailey Honda. Okay. I had a couple of part-time jobs actually, but the, the one more notable one was I was working at a car dealership at that time. It was located there in Bethany, um, really just down the road from the, from the university. Mm-hmm. And so it was close to the university, which made it convenient. And, um, and it was, uh, I think it paid like $6 an hour as a back office job. It wasn't selling cars, but it was like supporting um, the car salesman with some software, okay. you know, just some things, back office type application they were doing. It, quite frankly, it was a very, very boring job. Um, it was date money. It was really yeah. the function of it. But it is something that that led me into what I'm doing today, which is what's interesting about it is because I was bored, I would listen in to conversations in the car dealership just looking for, I don't know, just something to be, something to do. And one group from uh, California came in and pitched um, Mr. Bailey and the dealership on building uh, a website for him. This is in 1995. Mm -hmm. So it actually would have been just, I guess, just in the fall after I came, because I would have come January that year. So this would have been, you know, I don't know, October, November. And uh, and so I listened in the conversation and I, I went up to... Uh, Mr. Bailey, after the conversation, I didn't really know him. I you don't really talk to the owner, mm-hmm. you know, very often and or at all for me. And I just said, Mr. Bailey, if you'll let me build a website for you, I'll do it for a hundred dollars. Yeah. And he had just heard a proposal that I think was like twenty two hundred dollars, you know, from this group. And so he it looks at me, he's like, sure. Yeah. And. The problem was I had absolutely no idea how to build a website, and that was um, and no YouTube university was, no, to be and there able was to ap- learn how no to do it. No books on it. Yeah. I mean, there's no websites on how to build websites back in 1995. So I, um, you know, I, I it was a challenge though, and so I thought okay, I'll talk to my friend. Um, you know, he understands more about this, and so little by little I'd pick up enough knowledge. And then Christmas break was coming soon for mm-hmm. school, so. Um, during that Christmas break, I went through and dedicated a lot of time during break to kind of work on building this site and came back and showed it to them. And, um, and they, they liked it. It was very simple, but that's kind of what was being proposed. And I just said, you know, I think we could actually build a different website that you might do a better job of selling things on because you're not going to buy cars in 1995 on right. the Internet. Um, I said, but we think we could sell parts and accessories. And so we built a website called HondaParts.com. And um, did it there just out of the back office of the car dealership. Yeah. And within a few months, it grew um, to where they were selling, I, I think it was hundreds of thousands of dollars in parts all through this website. And, um, and it, he called me in his office one day and he just said, what do you plan on, on doing in life? And before I had a chance to answer, he said, whatever it is that you're going to do, I want to invest in it. That's so and cool. And so I had this huge opportunity had not anticipated this, wasn't planning on being an entrepreneur, right. but um, but felt like that was the, the right next step for me. And so I had this crazy opportunity to be an entrepreneur and I had an investor before I even had an idea, Yeah, which is obviously typically a little bit backwards, but, um, but that um, really led me to kind of process and think about what would I do? What could we do? I have this huge opportunity. And so I got with some friends and we put together a business plan to, um, to build a web hosting company was mm-hmm. what we started with. So that was really, that part-time job was a catalyst that led me into um, the entrepreneurial space, which then, um, then I spent the next few years really 
working and had some some early success in that in the late 90s during kind of a season that was uh, really a great time to be yeah. um, be kind of starting in tech. Yeah. Is Mr. Bailey still around? To my knowledge, he's still yeah. around. I went to lunch with him not too long ago, um, and I haven't talked to him very recently, but he's an amazing man and uh, just very, very thankful um, for for him because he just had a huge impact on my life. He was yeah. he became my first investor. He and um, one of his friends was also in the in the auto business. Uh, a guy named Jerry Richardson, who's another car dealer uh, mm-hmm. in town. Dub Richardson was the name of their their car dealership, and uh, and the two of them became our first investors. And then the second we sold that company about a year and a half later. And the second company that we had, we uh, took on another. Uh, them plus a, a little bit larger mm-hmm. local investment group um, for it, but but yeah, it was a very fortunate to have when you have somebody like him that's just a great businessman, just a great person yeah. that um, believes in you when you're. I guess I would have been. Um, I guess I would have been uh, what 19 years old yeah. probably at the time. Um, you know that's a big deal. You know, it's not too many nineteen-year-olds that have somebody that says, "I actually want to invest money in whatever it is that you come up with," right? <laughs> Which is a bit of a crazy thing. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, but I think that's the opportunity people miss a lot of times that are in business is just the impact that they can have um, just by believing in people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that, I, and and, I, and to me, that's also really true to the spirit of people here in Oklahoma. In general, I mean, there's the entrepreneurial spirit, which obviously Mr. Bailey had because he kind of self-made, you know, yeah. self-made man with his business. Um, but then just that notion that you're going to take some risks on people, you're going to believe the best in people. Um, I think those attributes like really carry through through our culture. Um, but that's that is also the reason that I one of the reasons, one of the key reasons I end up staying, yeah, was because all of a sudden now I had this business and didn't anticipate this, but this was kind of an anchoring point in my. Wife wife also got offered a great job at Chesapeake Energy while mm-hmm. she was still in college. And um, so both of those things combined kind of said, maybe we should just stay. Yeah, and, well, at uh, least for a few years. Yeah, at least, yeah. least for a while and just see what happens. Yeah. What like what pushed you to the dealership to get a job? Are you a huge passion for – do you have a huge passion for cars or is it just they were just advertising <laughs> and just the right time? There's This is a crazy story that, that I've – pretty much never told I don't think but I'll tell you because it's since you kind of asked the question (laughs) yeah no it's uh so I actually applied for a mailroom job at Chesapeake that paid ten dollars an hour and back Mm -hmm. when I was in college ten dollar an hour job was like a really good paying job you know they that and they were a great company is very very small but growing so I applied for a mailroom job and when I went to apply for the job and they were looking at my resume they said man, you're a finance major and, and I had, you know, a good GPA and all this. And they mm-hmm. said, you should apply for our audit, audit internship. And, and I'd had a lot of accounting classes as well. And I said, well, I, I mean, okay. I mean, what's your audit, what's an audit internship look like? And they said, oh, well, I mean, it's, it'd be a much better job for you. You know, you're over kind of overqualified for this mailroom job. So let's make, let's get you on the audit internship role. So they took me right over to talk to um, who, I don't know if her title was the treasurer at the time. Mm-hmm. She ultimately became the treasurer at Chesapeake. Went right into her office. Of course, I had not prepped for this interview. I hadn't, I didn't come plan for this job. In <laughs> yeah. fact, two of my friends were actually, I found out applying for the same internship and they were much more qualified because they were accounting majors right. and they were just, this is like in their wheelhouse. So the long story short is I didn't get the job. 
the the audit internship. And somebody but else I got could, the mail but, job. Yeah, and, but I could have got the mail job, <laughs> but I didn't. So it was actually getting rejected by Chesapeake yeah. um, that caused me to say, well, I, I just need a job. Yeah. And so I, it was the only one I found that was available and it paid $6 an hour. So I got paid a lot less. <laughs> To go work because I was too, I was overqualified for the job that I right. could have got paid more at. It's just kind of an interesting uh, diamond. That's actually where my wife ended up getting her first job at Chesapeake. So the whole kind of yeah. way it all fits together is really fascinating. That would have that would have. I'm glad I did, I got rejected, you know, right. quite frankly, because I I would have been trading a ten dollar job for what became an opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah, and and, and and that was that was such a better trade. And you go from like potentially working in the office, you know, nice setting to like working in an auto dealership in the 90s, which is completely different to what it is today, right? Yeah, you know, no, the stories you hear, it was completely it was, different, it which we don't have to go into. It was definitely it was, left, left, yeah. less professional of an environment, but I will say the dealership was well run, yeah. um, you know, but it was, uh, yeah, it was different. I mean, mm -hmm. a car, car dealership environment is different than a, a oil and gas yeah. company, and so it's for sure. So Mr. Bailey says, on oh, whatever you're in on next, I want to be your investor what and you and your buddies, what are, the, what are the next businesses that you and your buddies start? Do you start these while you're still in college? I yeah, so we started the first company, the web hosting company, while we were in college. Uh -huh. And we still had a full year. I still had a full year of school left. Um, and so it was a crazy start. I mean, you're. I got married. I started a business. I had one more year of school left. I was the president of what we what's called a business gaming team. And at SNU, that's uh -huh. like a is a big deal because we had won three years, the national competition three years in a row. And now I was the president of it and we're like going for a four peat. Yeah. So there's like all this pressure that we needed to win again. That took a ton of time. So I had all these, like basically a recipe for disaster of like, don't do all these things at once. So I would basically not sleep. I'd sleep maybe two or three hours at most in a given night. The weekends were the only time that mm -hmm. I might find a little bit of rest. And that was just what life was like. Work, you go to school full time. I think I was doing 18 or 20 hours. Um, so it was a full load plus yeah. the job. But it was awesome. And we started at the very beginning before we could get an office set up and we could get um, – you know, a lease done and servers because it just there's a bit of time to ramp up and we didn't want to wait. Mm -hmm. So we found some ways to go and get started while we're in our dorm room. We found an empty dorm room, asked the resident advisor if we could use that dorm room as our office. And they were like, as long as you don't get me in trouble, sure. And we used the phone line in that dorm room as our office phone. Yeah. And we literally leaned out the window with an answering machine because we didn't want it sounding like you're inside of a dorm room recording an answering machine message. And we would just basically make it sound like we were always busy on the other line. And the truth was, no one's ever ever in that dorm. <laughs> no we just would go up phone. and check. We just go check the answering machine <laughs> to see what calls came in. Our first customer was from Germany. I'll never forget being there in the dorm, watching a fax come through on the computer from a contract from yeah. Germany for our first client. And then um, we grew to have customers in 33 countries over the next year and a half. Wow. We had no idea what we were doing. We were 19 or 20-year-old college kids, and we're having to provide tech support to Japan, which is in the, is in the middle of the night, you know, our time. Just everything about it made no sense whatsoever as far as like the most unlikely, yeah. you know, group of people to be successful at doing it. But it was one of those things of the timing and what was happening. We were one of probably only 20 companies that were focused on web hosting in the entire world. Mm -hmm. And that's not like sort of an exaggeration. Like at that time, 
people that said, I'm a web hosting company, not like it's like sort of a side business for us. There's, we could only find 20. And back then you could pretty well find everything because the internet was pretty small. Yeah. And, uh, and so we just were at a really early stage and it turned out to be, um, it turned out to be a great thing. It wasn't like as big of a home run for the investors and us as it would have been if we had waited to sell it maybe a year. Oh it really? Maybe been worth almost twenty times as much oh, a year no. later because uh, because we had sold it like a regular business instead of yeah. like the dot com craziness that happened. But the second company I, that I had, I started with a different um, partner after we sold that, and we acquired the largest professional wrestling website and okay. grew it. Sold it to a company that Goldman Sachs took public in December of 1999, and so that particular venture was definitely more. Uh, in line with yeah. the types of deals that you saw happening during that time frame. Yeah, so you learned a lot from that first business. Sure, we yeah. made so many mistakes. I mean, we had a probably not a great structure. We didn't have a great structure to how we organized it. Um, I didn't. We I just grabbed as many partners and friends yeah. as we could to start it. Um, it really, you know, you just learn a lot uh, about. Um, I mean, there's so many mistakes that were yeah. made. It's kind of embarrassing uh, that we even survived. Does kind of the same group of friends go into the next business or not? No, um, they we, just moved we, on. I mean, we we had some stayed with the company that we sold it to. Um, some before we even had sold it had already graduated and started to move on with uh-huh. grad school or some different directions that they went in life. Um, so no, the second business I actually started with one of my customers from the first business and okay. he became the partner in the second one, but it was the same investors plus additional investors. Yeah. So the investors followed, followed us into the next thing, but, um, but the team looked a little different mainly cause of stage of life. People yeah. getting married. There's just a lot of people going different directions. Yeah. And, um, so, so you go through the second one, you, you sell the second one and then, how quickly does like the life church opportunity come around? Because I yeah. was oh three, right? Um, no, it was actually in oh oh one when I officially started life okay. church. But we sold the company December of ninety nine in two thousand, or right, right, maybe it'd been the same year. Right around the time of the sale of the company, an article came out in the newspaper with about the sale of the company mm-hmm. and had my picture in it. And I had been attending life church and serving on the worship team, playing keyboard as a volunteer. During the year there in 1999, my wife and I moved to Northwest Oklahoma City um, from Yukon, where our first house mm-hmm. was. And when we did, we we looked for a church that was near where we lived, found Life Church, fell in love with it. And um, and so when the article came out in the paper, um, the executive pastor at the church said, isn't that the guy that plays keyboard on the worship team? I just had never talked about what I did in business. And um, so he went to lunch with me and uh, at that lunch just asked what I planned on doing next and and then even asked if I'd ever considered doing what I was doing in business with technology and using that in on staff at a church because Life Church was very progressive and mm-hmm. trying to reach people that other people weren't reaching and trying some things that others weren't weren't doing and there was no technology really to speak of at Life Church at that time but they saw technology as a potential tool that could be used to reach people. So at the lunch, he asked if I might consider it. I actually said no. (laughs) Um, Too busy. (laughs) And I just, well, I I loved my church and I was afraid that if it became my job, that I might not love it. Yeah. And that's really what was going through my mind. So um, instead I said, what if I just volunteered in other ways? Because I had no idea that the church Mm -hmm. even was interested or needed these things. Um, So that's what I began to do for the course of the next year. I went from a 
a part-time thing to a almost 40-hour-a-week volunteer capacity role. And it became real clear to me that that my purpose in life, that um, what I felt like God was calling me to do was to take this step. Um, yeah. It was unexpected, but to step on, on staff at the church. So I did that in 2001. If you'd have asked me at that time, I probably would have anticipated staying on staff for 18 months or 20 months because mm-hmm. almost everything I'd done up to that point had a lifespan of about that long on it. I was young and just restless, a lot of times ready for the next challenge. But God kind of had a different plan, and um, and here I am, you know, 19 years yeah. later, and love every bit of it. It's been a difficult, challenging journey because it's not easy work. However, it's been the most rewarding thing that um, I could ever be a part of, um, just because it's not just a great place to work, but the impact we're making in people's lives has just been yeah, really, yeah. really cool to be a part of. Yeah, definitely. And I was recently, and we'll get onto this as well, I was recently looking at just like watching the numbers of downloads just continue to climb. Uh, it's, it's, it is unbelievable. Um, but so when what when the iPhone comes out, right, and you see these like apps, right, what are you thinking at that time? What What, what is that time in your career and life? Like, where are you at that point? Yeah, so... Um you know, I've been on staff at the church at that time for um, a l- little more than five years. And my first official role at the church was not really technology related. I mean, I, I was initially solving some problems with mm-hmm. like just basic stuff. Like we had no infrastructure, no computers, et cetera, that we, you know, yeah. just really nuts and bolts types of stuff. But I wasn't, my first real title, I think, was new campus development leader. So my job was to sort of start new locations for the church. That whole strategy around that, I was real involved in that, which kind of fit my personality because it was very startup kind of oriented. Yeah. But it wasn't technology oriented, really. And so in 2006 um, and even 2005, I began to really process like why that journey through business and through technology. And there had to be more that I learned in that that would really apply missionally to Mm -hmm. what we do at the church. And that led to several ideas, um, few of which we do today that are real, are fairly notable. Um, The one is what we call church online, which is basically connecting people to people Mm -hmm. using technology. And we have people from all over the world that participate in in many different church services every week using that technology. And the other was the Uversion um, Bible app, which was at the time an idea in October that I had related specifically to the fact that I read the Bible less than I wanted to. I was less engaged right. than I felt like I should be and wanted to be. So I thought there's got to be a way technology could help me connect with the Bible more consistently. Mm-hmm. And because um, I knew there's a lot of people like me. And I thought, so if it could help me, it could help others. So it started with an idea for a website. And this was right around the time that the iPhone came out. But at first when the iPhone came out, there were no apps that you could okay. install or an app store or any of that. It was yeah. just like a really out there new concept for a phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was in 2007. And we had, were just simultaneously launching this website called Uversion to, um, with kind of a novel idea about how the website would connect you to scripture. Well, it turns out that the website failed, um, the iPhone didn't, mm-hmm. and um, and we were going to shut the website down, um, but we always like to learn from failure. And one of the, the things that we felt like we learned was that 
we were using our computers less and less. Yeah. And our, back then, your computers weren't really mobile. They were more like a true desktop. Yeah. Laptops are pretty rare. And, um, and but we were using our Blackberries, you know, and, and iPhones mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, Blackberries were called Crackberries back then because you were, yeah. were so addictive. You'd answer your email. You'd kind of live with them day and night on your hip. You know, it was just a... a a really phenomenon in terms mm-hmm. of t- the technology advancement. And um, and so we thought, well, what if we just redesigned the website so that it would display in a BlackBerry? Because that was the predominant smartphone yeah. at the time. Yeah. This is late 2007, early 2008. Uh-huh. And so that's what we did. And it was profound how just that one simple change changed how we engaged with the Bible. And it changed how like the traffic to the website we could see going up from people using their Blackberries. So then it was right at that moment in 2008 when we were seeing kind of that, those results come in that Steve Jobs announced that they were now going to make it possible to develop apps for the iPhone and create something called an app store, which was really the revolutionary concept at the time. It's it's, it's, as common as it is today. Back then, even though you you could get mobile apps for certain kinds of phones, but it was so clunky and how you got them and whether they worked or not and yeah. and what you had to pay for them and you know all that stuff is just such a mess um, that this really solved that problem. And so we just thought, well, based on what we see, we should try to develop version into an app or the Bible into an app um, and see if Apple would accept it. So that's what we did. We had a guy on our team that was 19 that loved Apple and nobody else knew how to build apps. So we just asked if he could figure it out. Yeah. And, and it was kind of the wild, wild west back then. There were, again, no tools, no books, no classes, no coding dojos, no... Kind of like what you'd done with the Honda Yeah, website. it was just a complete like blank slate of unknowns. He had no idea how many apps there would be, no idea if it'd be successful because mm-hmm. tech companies back then would try all kinds of things that didn't work and they still do today. Yeah. Um, but um, we we managed to get the app approved, and the day that the App Store launched in July of 2008, um, the Bible app was in the first 200 free apps yeah. that were available that day. And it blew our minds that it made it into the store, quite frankly. Um, and then it blew our minds that there were only 200 free yeah. apps, because we would have presumed thousands. Oh, yeah. You know? And what that did was it gave us this really strong first mover advantage, not like necessarily first mover for Bibles, but just first mover for apps where all these eyeballs were pointed in the same spot. We had 83,000 people install it from Thursday night to Sunday morning. And we had no idea that was possible, blew our minds. Um, And then it was kind of been off to the races, you know, since then. I mean, it's one of those stories where you just don't know at first, but we just kind of lucky that it hit, Mm -hmm. you know, all in that moment. Um, but that was kind of the end of it, or is this like the beginning of a big wave and we're going to try to, you know, ride it as long as we can. And, you know, here we are, I guess, you know, 11 years later. And, um, and it's just been remarkable because 83,000 has grown to 410 million and and grown by almost four or 5 million new um, devices per month. And I mean, we never, I mean, never Ah, would have thought that was possible. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's just kind of hard to get your mind wrapped around. I mean, I still can't, and and most people that use it even today would still have no concept that it's happening in so many languages. Like when you see it in English, um, you know, that people actually experience the same thing in Arabic with the app right to left instead of left to right. And it's, I mean, there's so many attributes and aspects to it that are uh, kind of unknown, but that's, it's all happened, of course, step by step by step over time. 
but still blows our minds. Yeah, and you get to have a moment like I guess giving the the Pope at the time an iPhone with a with it. Yes, right? I Talk, gave tell the, me about I, that. I, I uh, is that kind of one of the Halo moments? Yeah, I had an opportunity to uh, visit uh, with Pope Francis, and I presented him with a uh, a gold iPhone <laughs> <laughs> um, that had the Bible app on it, of course, yeah. and. Um, and and then I tell people uh, uh, for fun, I say, you know, I actually have the Pope's cell phone number, but of course I, I gave him the yeah. cell phone. I, I did keep the number, <laughs> um, so we I made sure it was set up on an on an Italian uh, SIM card. But yeah. Anyway, no, it was it was a great experience. I mean, obviously it was a bit surreal in that you know the Catholic Church is actually really um, sees really the value of Bible engagement. Um, and, and so I just thought it was a really cool opportunity for us to, uh, to, you know, have a conversation about that. And then I met with the Pontifical Council for Social Communication, which is a really cool name for a, a committee or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and they, uh, and we talked a bit more about ways we could work together. Yeah. What, I mean, is there anything else that stands out just over the last 11 years that are just kind of like crazy <laughs> moments? Like, I'm sure there's a ton, right? But like, oh man, there, there are, there's so, uh, it's, it's really, um, it's it's honestly very humbling to be a part of it um, because um, you know we just we feel like we're just stewarding this yeah. like it's not something we own. Uh-huh. Uh, we may technically the church you know owns it, however, we just don't feel like it's ours. Like we just feel like it's our responsibility to kind yeah. of manage. It's a resource it. that it's you a manage. Resource that yeah. we manage. Um, but we've seen the reach of it just reach into all facets of life. You know, from people that are very influential in entertainment and sports. I mean, I could, it'll just sound like I'm name dropping if I start listing yeah, names yeah. off, you know, well, because the truth, the truth is it, it's affected a lot of people, even here locally. Um, you know, last year, uh, I was at a game and, uh, met with Russell Westbrook, who said he uses the app every day, Yeah, you know, as an example that maybe connects here to, to Oklahomans, of course, uh, a little different now with him, you know, being at Houston, but still we love Russell. And, of course. Yeah. And that's, uh, he's an example of somebody that you're like going, so really, so there's an app we created many, many years ago and here somebody with his, um, notoriety says they use it every day. Yeah. And um, actually like tells you as well, oh, yeah, not just like, you don't it. just Absolutely. hear this through other people. Like he's like, no, 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 I appreciate it. Like yeah, I use it. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, and at the same time I was there, MC Hammer was there that night and yeah. of course he uses the app, you know, all the time. So there's these, these, all these, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, sound like I'm just dropping a bunch of names. The truth is it blows our minds, right. the, the level of impact that it has and, um, the, the number of people that's impacted. But when you have 400 and yeah. 10 million devices that have installed it, you're going to have quite a few, uh, interesting yeah. stories that are kind of contained inside well, of it. And I think like obviously everyone uses it but they don't faith and and you know christ life in the media doesn't isn't shown as much as it should be right and and like you know you steph curry and stuff like that talking about it openly and people kind of get a strange reaction to it when it's spoken about openly because they don't hear it that often sure but it's great when you have an athlete like that um you know when people follow you on instagram and they see you post a picture with kanye west right and they're like (laughs) Okay, that's really cool. I, I want to know: Did you rap for Kanye West? I did not rap for Kanye. Oh, that would have been. Um, I was asked to rap for him. We were, were really? we were in a restaurant together, and and um, they we wanted to know if I could rap, but I uh, um, I declined in the. I didn't want to do it in the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> I would have done it for him, like yeah. in his house or something. But right. I, I don't want to do it in the restaurant for some reason. But no, it's public. No, well, it's just obviously it's Kanye. So yeah, he um yeah, but he said that the Bible app is his favorite app. 
Yeah. He posted that on Twitter uh, a year ago, um, maybe a year and a half ago, um, and says he reads it every day, every morning. Uh, what's interesting is he actually, when I talked to him, he actually doesn't use the app. He uses Bible.com or a website on his iPhone. He's one of the few people I yeah. know that doesn't. He said he doesn't do a lot with apps. He actually uses websites more than apps um, because I think he switches phones a lot and does right. things. But anyway, but he... Uh, yeah, it was great. Um, connect with him. We we're talking about ways we might be able to work together because he's got a lot of passion right now for the Bible and mm-hmm. for um, really just for ministry in general. He means really viewing his life and what he's trying to how trying to realign what yeah. he does all shaped around ministry. But you're right about culture. You know, faith used to be very central point of conversation of culture and community. Mm-hmm. It was part of the city conversation in most communities. Uh, around here in Europe and different parts of the world. And it did kind of move to the periphery, sometimes literally to the periphery in the suburbs, you know, like in terms yeah. of the churches themselves, but but probably more um, metaphorically, it's kind of moved to, you know, outside, you know, mm-hmm. of, of the conversation. And we really view that as something that we want to change. And, and there's no particular reason that it couldn't be. These people that, like I mentioned, that use our app that happen to be famous people, um, they're real people. They have yeah. the same kinds of struggles that you and I have. Um, their lives are certainly different, and they have different sets of pressures and expectations. Mm-hmm. But at the core, they're still people and human beings, and and they turn to um, they they turn to the Bible and they turn to God's Word as a source of inspiration, a source of truth when they're trying to kind of find truth in the midst of a world that seems like it's full of a bunch of non-truth, you right, know, or a bunch of uncertainty, and so. That's, I think, what's encouraging is that that actually is happening. I think it's encouraging for them to share about it more, and I think we're trying to encourage that to happen. And we, we've created a lot of video segments and contents of people that have a lot of influence that talk mm-hmm. about their fondness for the Bible, um, in part because we want people to see that this is not some obscure, um, very narrow-minded group of people that kind of turn to God's word. Yeah. Um, that it's actually a very mainstream thing that that real people, people that they look up to admire, um, who aren't perfect, you know, and and none of us are, you know, still um, and and regularly see God's word as kind of a, a, a an anchoring, a source of uh, uh, to turn to, kind of in the midst of the the craziness you know that's yeah. out there in the world so so we're trying to help paint the picture of reality for mm-hmm. people because we think there's a very um narrow and and kind of incomplete picture that's painted by um sometimes by the media or just by cultural the way cultures cultural pressures yeah. you know, kind of try to try to remove this from the conversation um so we're trying to make sure it stays elevated yeah i think i mean you guys are doing a great job of a huge team here um, you know, and just just the impact that you've had and, and will continue to have. It's it's really cool to to kind of sit with you. I'm gonna finish with some quick fire questions. Okay, they're not super quick fire, but they are a little <laughs> bit. Uh, favorite song at the moment? Oh, I'd have to I'd have to pick a Kanye song off his new album, but I'm trying to think. Of, use this gospel. I'll use that okay. that one. Uh, do you have a favorite song of all time? Um, no. <laughs> uh, last last person you saw live in concert. Oh, it's been a while since the concert. Um, next. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Uh, I'll come back to that one. This is going to be a hard one. Most famous person you've ever met. And that's, that's like you to define this. So who uh, did you like geek out over? 
I would say the person that I that impacted me the most when I met them, who's famous, would be Billy Graham. Okay. Um, I met the Pope, I met the president, multiple presidents, but Billy Graham would probably be the one that stands out. Uh, football or basketball? Basketball. Favorite meal? Favorite meal, uh, probably Thai. Uh, favorite restaurant in Oklahoma? Uh, huh. Um. That's too difficult, man. It is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, so gonna, good here I am right going now. to offend too many of my friends at a restaurant. Uh, tours of go to picking one. Go to Starbucks order. Um, I usually go with a non-fat latte. Okay. If there was no tech industry, what would you be doing? Uh, riding a horse. Riding a horse? Well, just because if there's no tech industry, <laughs> that's probably what I'd be left in. To that point, you're a pilot. I am. I forgot about that. Yeah. Congrats. Recent, recent yeah. pilot. Yeah. No, I, I decided in July to. Um, that I wanted to, or last July that I wanted to uh, learn to fly. So I kind of look for lifetime learning challenges yeah. and this is one of them. So yeah, I'm a pilot and I got instrument rated and before Christmas, which means I can fly in clouds and weather yeah, and yeah, all yeah. that. And then this week I started helicopter lessons and I've had two so far. Okay. So happy days. Yeah. Uh, I'll finish on this one. Uh, dream vacation. Oh, dream vacation. Um, I feel like I have those all the time. Um, so I would say um, I'll just pick the one I'm doing this summer is a kind of an epic trip. It's like a work trip combined with a vacation. So I'm taking my entire family, which is what I try to do now as mm -hmm. much as I can take my wife or kids on trips with me, which is like my favorite thing to do. And I do a lot of international travel for speaking or for um, yeah. sharing the story. So this summer I'll be, we'll go to Scotland, then Israel then Ghana, Africa for, um, um, there's three different events that I'm speaking at. And then we'll be in the Mediterranean on a boat <laughs> and then into London where my parents and my wife's, um, uh, parents are coming over to go to a Cardinals and Cubs baseball game in London. Oh, really? So that'd be a three week kind of epic trip with the whole family That's awesome. and like several different countries. So I think just the adventure of all of the, like the, the distinction, each of those countries are very, very different. Right. Um, I think I'm really looking forward to it. So I, it may turn out to be the worst vacation ever, but right now I'm planning for it to be the best. <laughs> uh, or be, is that National Lampoon's European vacation, something like that? <laughs> well, you know, my last not name Grunwald, and everybody <laughs> abbreviates it Griswold sometimes, so it fits right in there with that National Lampoon awesome. stuff. Um, well, mate, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I know you're a super busy man, and thanks for sitting down and being on the show. Uh, I'm sure the listeners really appreciate getting to know you a little bit better and... and um, I'm sure everyone knows you already rap because that's in you in, on your Wikipedia page. But um, yeah, congrats on the flying, and uh, wish you all the best for for flying a helicopter soon as well. Awesome, yeah, I'm looking. It's a lot of fun. So thank you, Mike, for the opportunity. I appreciate being on here. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you next episode. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us, and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.